0: Your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1st Timothy, 1st Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking there in a few minutes. It's going to take us a couple of minutes to get there. We're in the midst of a series that we're calling The Bonsai Way. And that comes from this picture of the bonsai tree. um, The act of uh, making a large tree small on purpose... In a picture you have in it, a lot of people talk about when they're doing um, bonsai tree gardening tending, that what they're doing is they have a picture in their mind of what the tree is going to look like, and then they form it, they trim it, they plant it, they cultivate it in such a way that it will form that picture in their mind. And so we've been talking about over these last few weeks the way that God forms us as believers, that he has this picture in mind of who we are, of what we're going to be, and that he is in the process of pruning us, of watering us, of tending us in order that we might become the picture, the people that he has for us to be. Now there's another biblical image in Scripture about this same kind of idea of what God is doing with us, and it revolves around pottery. Anybody here ever done pottery, like on a, on a wheel, like shaping it, right, with the water and all that? I've told you all this before, but when I was in seminary, my, um, I was in school, and then my job, my part time job was that I was a teaching assistant at a fine arts preschool. And we got a, pottery kiln in a new building that they built. And we had people that were doing pottery. And one day they sat me down to do pottery. And I attempted to do pottery. I did not do well, right? If you've ever done that, it's much harder than it looks. I mean, it looks so easy just putting your hands on there, but it's, it's difficult. Well, in scripture, It tells us that one of the pictures of God forming his people, specifically in the Old Testament, is that of a potter and clay. In fact, over in Jeremiah 18, and you you can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. It's going to be on the screen. But in Jeremiah 18, the word comes to Jeremiah the prophet from the Lord. In verse 2, go down at once to the potter's house, and there I will reveal my words to you. So he says... Basically, I'm going to give you an object lesson. And he sent him to the potter's house. And when he gets there, this is what happens in verse 3. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hand. So he made it into another jar as it seemed right for him to do. And so he literally goes in, the potter's working on something. He reshapes it, reforms it, tears it down, builds it back up, and starts to form it again. And then God says to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to me, house of Israel, can I not treat you as this potter treats his clay? This is the Lord's declaration. Just like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. Now, this particular metaphor, this picture that God gives Jeremiah, is for the nation of Israel. But in the New Testament, as it rolls to believers, we get this same sort of sense that God is molding us and shaping us and fine-tuning us into the people that he wants us to be. And he uses a variety of different elements and tools to get that done. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how that he will use... Um, Applied Word of God. Practical teaching. Practical living out God's Word to change our lives. And we talked last week about the providential relationships that are there. Well, today we're going to talk about another way that God uses a tool in our lives to shape us into the people that He wants us to be. We're going to talk about a word that most of us do not like. We don't appreciate it, we don't look forward to it, it's not a word that we want to talk about a lot, we ask if we want it in our lives, we definitely don't want it in our lives. We're going to talk about the word discipline. Now what we're not going to talk about today, although we could talk about today and we will talk about in other ways in the weeks ahead, is God disciplining us. Today we're going to talk more specifically about how we discipline ourselves. Someone said about the word discipline that discipline in our lives is like the friend we hate to see coming, but is glad once they've visited. You may have one of those friends. Please don't point, right? You glad, like you hate, like I just don't know that I've got time. I don't know, and then you spend some time and you visit, and you're like, oh, I'm glad that happened, right? Uh, That's the way that I am about working out the once or twice I do a year. It's that I don't really look forward to it. I don't want to do it. I don't like, man, I don't want that to happen. And then after it's over, I'm like, man, I'm glad that now uh, the next morning, I'm not so happy, but at that moment, I'm like, I feel good about myself, right? There are things in our lives that we know we need to do. We hate it on the front end, but we're glad about it on the back end. And what we want in our lives is to have things that we are disciplined in that become good habits that help lead to self-control because we know that is good for us. One of the things that I've discovered in my life, one of the things in reading about this topic, one of the things I've discovered is oftentimes how we feel about the discipline or our motive for the discipline is unrelated to the outcome. The question is not what we want to do, it's what we do. Attitude, oftentimes, is unrelated to the outcome. So, for instance, if you decide that you're going on a diet and you stick to it, but you do it for all the wrong reasons, you still reap the benefits of what's there. Right? Are you with me? Are you here? I know it's Labor Day. Are you here? All right. And what our goal is oftentimes, what we really want is that we want that discipline in our life, those good habits, that self-control to become something we want to do. Our ought becomes want and our endure becomes enjoy. And what begins as discipline hopefully becomes a habit that turns into a lifestyle and in the end becomes life changing for us. So whatever that is in life in general, and this is just a general understanding, whether that's exercise that you decide I'm going to be disciplined in, what you want is that discipline to turn into a habit and that habit to turn into a lifestyle so that you are living healthy. Whether that's coming home from work early that you realize that there's an imbalance in your life and so you decide I'm going to start disciplining myself to come home early from work. And so you start coming home early from work and you do that in order to build a habit that hopefully will become a lifestyle that will lead to better balance in your family and your life because of that. You're spending less and saving more. It's something that you discipline yourself on, and it's hard at times because you've not been doing that, and you you discipline yourself so that it becomes a habit, and then as that habit becomes, it becomes a lifestyle, and as a result, you're able to save and to do the things that you want to do because you're disciplined and you're good habits. Things that are in our lives that we want to be better at we discipline ourselves. And here's the truth about that word discipline. Discipline applied facilitates progress and prosperity. Now the reality is that discipline requires delayed gratification. That's a word that none of us enjoy. None of us think, man, I can't believe I get the opportunity to to work hard at something and get nothing in return immediately. but delayed gratification means doing what we ought to do now so that we can do what we want to do later. So how does that all apply to how God forms us? Because today we're going to talk about the third element in the many tools, we're only going to talk about five tools over these, this series, but there are many tools that God uses to shape us. And the element that we're going to talk about today is training ourselves, disciplining ourselves spiritually. Traditionally in the history of the church, this has been called practicing the spiritual disciplines. And we're going to look today in Scripture at a couple of ways that we can do that and the reasoning behind it and how then we can apply it to our lives. And here's what I want to let you know. There is going to be pushback within your mind and your soul and your schedule and all of this when I talk about some of this because naturally this is something that you know you should be doing that many of you are not doing. And it is that friend that you don't want to see coming. This is not one of those sermons that you may amen but you're going to be an oh no in in your soul. All right? Because you know this is something. Yes, I know that, but I just I can't find the time or or I got out of the habit or I'm I'm not good at that aspect or I, I, I really when I think about it that's not the most exciting way to spend my time. And yet We know this is one of the ways God shapes us. We know that because Jesus shows us that. Jesus taught about and practiced spiritual disciplines. For instance, in Mark chapter 135, this is at the very beginning of his ministry. He had had an unbelievable day the day before. He had been healing people. He had announced himself in the temple. I mean, at the synagogue, preaching about all that was going on. It was a day that healing of a, a demonic man had happened. People came to the house he was in to be healed. It was an exhausting day. It was one of those days when he laid his head on the pillow at night, he went to sleep immediately, and he was just needing a great night's sleep. And it says on in Mark one hundred thirty five the very next morning, very early in the morning while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Jesus made a habit of doing this, of going away, of pulling himself away. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 says this, when Jesus heard about it, people were trying to get to him, people were trying to crowd him, he withdrew from there by a boat to a remote place to be alone. In Matthew fourteen twenty three this is When they had fed the 5,000, they wanted to make him king. And he says, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. There's a pattern there that Jesus is taking time often in the early part of the day. But at times of the day, he withdraws himself, pulls himself away to spend time with the Father. And here's what I want us to understand about these spiritual disciplines. One of the main reasons that God uses them in our lives to churn us into the people that he wants us to be is because God wants to commune with us, have fellowship with us, spend time with us in order to change us, in order for us to understand his love, understand his compassion, understand his purpose, understand his plan to reveal our sin, to remove our sin patterns in our lives. And so what happens when we pull ourselves away in these spiritual disciplines? They are not things to check off a list. They are not things to say, I've done that today. They are not offering envelope things to be able to turn it at the end of the week to get a good grade on our Christian walk this week. They are time for us to pull away and to spend time alone with the Father because ultimately our relationship with God is exactly that. If it's going to be vital and real and meaningful it is a relationship that requires time. Jesus also taught us about this and particularly in prayer in Matthew chapter 6 right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, whenever you pray, there's that assumption there that prayer is going to happen. You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now, let me just tell you that this was interesting in their day because the concept of private rooms wasn't really there much. The size of their homes would have been the size of most of your living rooms. They had a very small area, and they might have a doorway between a couple of places, but it would just been a huge leather thing hung there, and to have privacy in their home, he's basically saying, go out of your way to find a place to be alone and to pray and commune with the Father. Not only did Jesus model it and teach it, so did Paul. That's our focus passage for the day. It's First Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. Hopefully you've got your Bibles open there. If not, it'll be on the screen. You can find it on your phone, on your app. First Timothy chapter 4, starting verse 6 through 10. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, we'll talk about that more in a minute, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus "...nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. But have nothing to do with the pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people." especially of those who believe. I just want to walk through this passage for just a moment to show us the benefit or the why behind the spiritual disciplines, and then we're going to talk for a moment about some ways to put it into practice. First thing that happens in verse 6 is it says, if you point these things out. Now, obviously we are jumping into the middle of a chapter, into the middle of a book, and this book is Paul writing to Timothy. He had sent Timothy, if you remember, Timothy was a young man who Paul had uh, seen his faith and was impressed with it and would often send Timothy with letters or to troubleshoot or to do things. And he sends him to Ephesus, this influential church, the same Ephesus from the book of Ephesians, because there are some people there teaching things that are not biblically gospel sound. There were some corrupt leaders that were trying to lead people astray. For instance, there was a group of people there teaching that if you ate meat, God was upset with you. And Paul, praise be to God, rightfully says, eat meat. Can I get an amen there? Sorry, vegetarians. I like my meat, all right? There were also people there that saying that marriage was not what God intended. And they were arguing these things and they had infiltrated and they had started to get into the leadership of the church and they were teaching all of these things. And basically Paul gets Timothy and says, you go. These leaders were beginning to argue over small points of theology and causing major divisions within the church over points of theology that were not had not risen to the place of something that you ought to split a congregation, a church, a work over. There were angry theological disputes. There were wealthy women in that congregation who saw church as a fashion show and would wear their absolute best when they came to worship and flaunted in front of other people. And it was causing people to feel bad about themselves and what they had that they couldn't afford. And so Paul will tell Timothy, tell them not to wear their best. Don't put on the best stuff they've got. Just dress modestly, dress normally, dress like any other day because we're not trying to impress people when we come to church. There were people that were arguing for places in power and leadership that were part of this false group that did not deserve it. And Paul, in the midst of all of this, at the end of his description about this, right before he tells Timothy to stand firm on this stuff, says that the enemy, the devil, the evil one has caused this to happen. And he is causing a rift within the church. And he gets to verse six and he says, so you need to point these things out. And so he's telling him his goal, his mission, his purpose. In fact. The Greek word here for point these things out literally means to put it out there or to stretch out. It was a a, a picture that they would have of someone putting their neck on the line. Like becoming vulnerable because you are proclaiming God's truth. Now here's why that's important. Paul is asking a big ask of Timothy who at times seems timid and worried. We don't know a lot about Timothy, and maybe that characterization isn't fair, but the way he's written about and talked about, there seems to be some timidity in his life. And Paul is saying, it is time for you to stand firm and to stick out your neck and to say these things to people. And then he tells him how he's going to be able to do that. He says, if you do that, you'll be a good brother and servant of Christ Jesus. And then he says, and this is how it will be nourished by the words of faith and the good teaching that you have followed the word "nourished" there is a word that they really don't know how to translate and its basis level it's interesting and there's a word play with what's going to come later it literally means to be trained by or to be fed by so that's where the nourished idea comes But he says, I want you to put yourself out there. I want you to put these eyes out out there. But in order to do that, you're going to have to be continually fed and nourished from the good faith and the good teaching, the words of God, the gospel that's been passed on to you. You're going to have to continually in private be fed by the wells of what's coming from me in order, from the Lord, in order to be able to stand firm in the culture in which you live. You have to continually be fed. One has called this the diet for godliness. The good faith. The faith is kind of the encapsulation of all the gospel. The truth of Jesus Christ. And then what you've been taught from good teaching. From your history and from the church. That this is how we are to be Nourished, And then he says. And have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. By the way verse 7. There's just a funny little thing in here. It says have nothing to do with pointless. Literally it means vapid. Or even can mean like negative terms. Like this will take you away from the Lord. And silly myths. The word there is for grandmotherly you almost could translate that, have nothing to do with the silliness of, and what a lot of places, some of you may have a Bible that translates as, old wives' tales. What it's saying is, don't give in to this theology and the ridiculousness that you're hearing. Stick true to the word of God because people left to their own devices will debate things that do not matter, that are silly and pointless, and they will share it as if it's true. Aren't you glad in our social media days we have moved past all of that? Don't give attention to that stuff. I'll I'll never forget uh, when I was in Ripley and I was pastoring in Ripley. The big thing back then, which this has gone away with the social media, was the email chains. That if you didn't pass this email along, that God was going to strike you dead in 24 hours. Anybody remember Those? Okay. And I got one of those from one of the most saintly men in my church about Mr. Rogers' history. In the military and his tattoos. 100% made up. Fake truth. All right. Fake news. And I went to him and he said, but I found it on the internet. And my friend showed it to me. And so-and-so sent it to me. And if gay sent it to me, it's got to be true. I said, but it's not. It's amazing how this used to be when I was growing up. I'm going to say some words that our young people have no idea what I'm talking about. In Dyersburg, we had party line. Anybody know? Anybody? Let me just see your hand so I can know all the old people in here. Here we go. All right. All right. Party line. People would share stuff on party line. Or... The local Q marked men sitting at tables having conversations just about the world. Probably 5% truth and whatever was being shared, but it was being shared. Now we all just do that publicly for everybody to see. All right? So it don't have anything to do with that. And then he uses this word so it don't have anything to do with that silly stuff. Stay focused on the word of God. And then he says, rather train yourself in godliness. Now here's what's interesting about that word train there. It is literally the word gymnazo. And a little bit later when it talks about training of the body, the word is gymnasia. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Okay. So here's the thing. It is the word that means that, that we get our word gym or gymnasium from. And just for interest, does anybody know what that word meant in the original language, the word that it comes from, which is gymnos? Anybody want to guess? It means naked. How many of you had that at the top of your list? Now, why does it mean naked? Because that's how people played sports back then. That's how it happened. They didn't want anything encumbering them. No clothing. So, like, the, you hear about the first Olympics? Um, all naked. Sorry for the visual image there, I didn't mean that. But the idea behind this word is just as, now, most people think, by the way, that Paul would have been in the city of Corinth during what was the second biggest games after the Olympic Games, the Isthmian Games in AD 51. And that in fact, anybody remember what Paul literally his other job was when he wasn't in ministry, when he was, or to support his ministry? What was he? He's a tent maker. And there are, um, now this is a respected New Testament scholar, Gordon Fee says that there is a strong possibility, this isn't Scripture a strong possibility that Paul would have been a tent maker providing tents for people that came to watch the games and needed a place to stay during that time. And so when he's picturing athletic contests, he's thinking about the athletic contest. And he says that just as it would be ridiculous for people to think, I can go compete in the Olympics without training at all, it would be ridiculous for you to think you can live your spiritual life if for the glory of God and what he's called us to do without some sort of discipline and training your body. Now let me just say real quickly, there is a big difference between training and trying. Amen? So uh, we have some guys that are, um, that are coming on Monday nights and playing basketball. And it's a good group of guys, and they're, they're having a good time, and it's a, a lot of guys from our church, but there are guys from other churches coming and playing, and it's it's an awesome time. My boys both, well, Eli was here before he went back to school, and Luke still are playing here on Monday nights and having a great time. And a few weeks ago, I had a phone call meeting that needed to take place in my office um, in the middle of that time, and I thought, you know what? Before I do that, I'll go try to play some basketball. Now, had I trained at all for playing basketball, None. Like, none. Occasionally walking through the gym while somebody's playing, I will pick up the ball and shoot it once, right? And then I heard the words that nobody wants to hear who has not trained for this particular moment when I walked in the door and Shaw Dickerson, who's helping me, goes, great, we've got enough to go full court now. That is not what I wanted, right? And after about three trips down... I took a shot from the top of the key that normally I at least get close on and it hit nothing. And it was short and my legs did not work because I was trying to do something for which I had not trained. Paul says to Timothy, I need you to stand firm on what the scripture is. I need you to stick your neck out there and tell them what this is. But before you do that, make sure that you're continually tied to the nourishment that comes from the faith and the word of God and that you are training yourself for godliness. By the way, godliness is a word that is used a lot in 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus and not a lot of other places in the Bible. But for Paul, godliness here is not some kind of in the sky thought experiment godliness is active obedience that springs from a reverent awe of God and he's saying train yourself to be doing the things that God has called us to do so what does that look like in our lives there are some traditional spiritual disciplines that we ought to find a way to incorporate in our lives. Some more frequently than others. Some every day or multiple times a day. Some every once in a while. Some at seasons of our lives. But if you are not doing some of these, then you are not training yourself for what God intends for you to do. You're not disciplining yourself. What are those things? It's personal Bible reading. And time alone with the Father in prayer and meditation over what you've read. That ought to be a regular part of every day of your life. You don't have to read five chapters of the Bible. You can read a small section of the Bible. You can read areas of the Bible. If you want to, if this is something you haven't been doing, you're like, where do I start... Take one of the Gospels and just begin to read a little bit of the day, a story at a time, and think about what it teaches you about God and about Jesus and then pray that God would show you more and more. Personal Bible reading, meditation, prayer. Other spiritual disciplines, ways to train ourselves, include fasting for seasons, fasting from in our day, entertainment and media and technology, but also fasting in the ways, the same ways that Jesus told his disciples to fast fasting from food. And not to lose weight and not for a diet, but in order to be more in tune with what God is doing. Confession. Confessing your sins to the Lord. Laying them out there for him to hear because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, because he has become the mediator one, the one that is standing at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. We do not need to go to someone else, although scripture advises that especially for accountability reasons that we confess our sins to one to another, but ultimately first we must go to the Lord directly and confess our sins. Some ancient practices that are more relevant today than maybe they've ever been. The discipline of silence or of solitude or of slowing our lives. John Ortberg tells the story that when he was um, asking one of his spiritual mentors what he needed to do to become more spiritual, he said, radically remove the hurry from your life. Celebration. Celebration with the Lord. One of the things now that I've got two of my four driving, um, I have time in the car. I'll, a lot of times before, I was driving people somewhere, and I still do that a lot, but sometimes I'm in the car by myself, and that is a time that I don't want to waste. And so I'm either listening to Scripture, or I'm listening to some kind of book that, that, that engages me, or I'm listening to music that I'm celebrating the Lord in the midst of it. Giving is a spiritual discipline. Setting aside a percentage of what you earn to give back to the Lord. That's a particularly painful one sometimes to start. But as you go through and begin to do that, you will see it becomes a habit that becomes a lifestyle that is beneficial. And worship. Attending church, by the way, especially in our day where that seems to be optional attending church is a spiritual discipline again the point is not to check off a list and have your check sheet at the beginning of the week now for some of you that's your personality and if you don't have a checklist you're not going to do it so by all means make a checklist for some of us that drives us nuts And we'd rather just make sure that we're spending time with the Lord and we want to do it daily. But it's not something to accomplish. It's not something that makes you more loved by God. It's not something that will in itself make you a better Christian. What it does is it gives us opportunity to spend time with the Lord where he can nourish us and train us for the task that he has for us. So where in your life can you incorporate Personal Bible reading, and prayer, and meditation on what God has said in His Word. Where in your life can you incorporate fasting, and confession, and silence, and solitude, and slowing, and celebration, and giving, and worship? Let me also just say this: um, a few years ago, I uh, I got to a point in my life where I was like, "Man, I've got to I've got to get in better shape. I got to train better. I got to got to lose some weight. I got to." Get some exercise in. I just got to be better about all of that. And so there was this guy online that did this thing called Pastor Fit. And he would do for pastors with busy lifestyles... He would tailor a plan, and so he had worked with a couple of the pastors I knew, and they had great results. I was like, man, I'm going to do that, and so I sent him a message, and he sent me a message, and I paid him a little bit and told him all about it, and he sent me this whole detailed plan, and the first day workout was like 30 minutes of high-intensity interval training, and I could not walk the next day. Anybody ever been there? I mean, I literally, like when I got done, it wasn't that next day. When I got done, I tried to walk down some steps. And I was like, whoa, I think I'm just going to slide down a little bit. Do you know what I did not do? Workout day two. Or day three. Or the rest of the program. So here's what I also say. It's just like that with your spiritual training. Don't listen to me and go, you know what? Law's right. Starting tomorrow, I've got to do personal Bible reading, meditation, prayer. I'm going to fast this week. I'm going to confess everything to the Lord. I'm going to spend six hours in silence and solitude. Now, maybe some of you parents want to do that. and You're like, kids, can I get an amen on the house of the Lord? Kids, I am practicing solitude this morning. For the next eight hours, I need you in your rooms. right? So don't think i got to take all of this on, but pick one or two of these out. I would start with Bible reading and prayer. And don't think I've got to pray an hour, ten minutes with the Lord, five minutes with the Lord. And begin to train yourself for godliness. Now let me just finish by saying this. It's all important because of the goal that we have in mind. Don, um, This author who writes on spiritual disciplines, Don Whitney, says this. Discipline without direction is drudgery. So what's our direction? Well, it tells us here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, For the training of the body has limited benefit. But godliness is beneficial in every way, since it's a promise for the life. And also for the life to come. He says, listen, training your body, that's going to bring you some point and some, some benefit. Absolutely, there's benefit to that. But it is limited and temporary because ultimately this is not the end for us. But training for godliness is something that benefits us now and forever. And then he reminds us in verse 9 and 10, this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason we labor and strive. Why are we disciplining ourselves? Why are we serving? Why are we doing what God wants us to do? Because we have our hope in a living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. He is working in our lives to transform us into the people that we want to be, even when we don't realize it's who we want to be. So here's my only point for the day. My only point for this message is this. Train yourself in Godliness. Figure out ways to train. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray in this moment, in this place, that you would give us wisdom about how you want us to train ourselves for godliness what that looks like in our lives. Lord, we lay down at the altar. Lord, our sinful nature wants us to do all kinds of other stuff. wants us to, to chase other enticements, other enjoyments, entertainment. Lord, it's training us for nothing. Lord, some of us in this room are captivated by training our physical bodies. And while there's good in that, Lord, it has displaced some of what our desire to chase and train for godliness has done. So, Lord, there may be some things in our lives that need to be stripped away in order for us to spend time with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make those evident to us in this place and that your will would be done here just as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.